Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, severinrun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. So let me give you a little bit of context for where we are in our, our journey. We are going to continue on because we believe we're called to, to go through the book of Matthew this year. But we're hitting the pause button for, for just, um, well, for the next six weeks or so to begin our On the Road series, to hear from God and mark the next chapter in the life of the church at Seven Run. I believe with all my heart that this is one of the most important chapters, if not the most important chapter that we've ever had. Uh, that it's just critical that we take the beach uh, that God has put in front of us so that we can take the land that, that he has ahead of us. Today, as we lay a foundation for this whole series and for the life of the church at Severn together, there are two beliefs that can change everything in our future if we truly believe these two things. The first is that nothing matters more than my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we're asking you to fast. That's why we're asking you to do something maybe that you've never done before. Um, fasting, uh, some of us are fasting from food. Um, some of us are fasting from, from things like Coke, uh, coffee. I, I'm sorry, I even went there. Some of you are going, I could do food, but not coffee. You know, no way. How many of you all are in that camp? You'd go food before coffee. There's a few of you, honestly, right? It's coffee for you. I'm just saying, um, you don't know what the Lord will do. TV, I know some people are fasting from TV. But it needs to be something that matters to you, um, something that in a large way or um, a small way, but significant, that you turn to frequently. Uh, maybe it's smoking for, for some of you. It's something that you turn to for relief or for, for comfort. And in that moment of self-denial and in that moment of, of telling your flesh no so that you can say yes to your spirit, you can say Nothing matters more than my personal relationship with Jesus. Not this cigarette, not this Dr. Pepper, uh, not my favorite TV show. You know, um, you can binge watch in a few weeks, you know, if that's, if that's what you need to do. But I really want to challenge you. If you want to grow spiritually, prioritize your personal relationship with Jesus and realize that nothing matters more. For some of you, that may be a strange thought, and, and just being here at church is huge for you, and I just want to say thank you so much for that and for the courage uh, that you've shown to, to come. Um, one other spiritual marker that, that has to do with our personal relationship with Jesus, we, we found out, and I'll talk to you more about this later, but really only a very small percentage of us gather weekly. Uh, most of us are every other week or every third week. I want to challenge you in 2016, if you want a new life, um, begin some new practices and, and just commit to say, you know what, nothing matters more than my personal relationship with Jesus and therefore I'm going to be a part of, of the rhythm of, of God's life in worship. The second belief then that, that is key to everything, knowing that nothing, 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 not even food, not even money, nothing is more important than my relationship with Jesus. The second belief that changes our future is this, nothing is impossible with God. I want us to say that together, ready? Nothing is impossible with God. 
And I want us to say it with a little bit of just conviction because this is either true or the God of this book um, is, is not real. There, there's only those two possibilities. So let's say it again one more time together. This is a belief that will change everything about your future. Nothing is impossible with God. In Luke 18, 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man, what is impossible in the normal standards of human life, what is impossible with normal human intelligence, ability, with the laws of physics uh, as they are normally understood, what is impossible in the human physical realm, well, with God, it's quite possible. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, I am, and then the Hebrew says, I am. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. And then there's a question asked that is such a great question that, that all of us need to, to ask ourselves. You and I need to memorize Luke 18, 27 and Jeremiah 32, 27. And we need to ask ourselves, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me, says the Lord? And the answer is, well, you know, do we believe that? <laughs> you know, when we are when we are hurting and, and when things are, are are not going our way, um, you know, is anything too hard for me? Is not a question because most of the time our eyes are not on the Lord God; uh, they're on our checkbook, they're on our relational problems, they're on our children, or they're on our parents, or our schoolwork, or, or our job, but they're not on the Lord. When we are faced with the impossible, we need to, to understand that, you know what, what seems so just life-suckingly important in this moment is, is not more important than my personal relationship with Jesus, so that's what I'll prioritize. And as I do that, I will face this challenge knowing that nothing is impossible with God. And I will hear God say to me, is anything too hard for me? I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? And of course, the answer is no. The truth is that the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the God who, who began everything, began everything in an impossible way because he began it all with a word. And the Bible says that in the beginning, um, God spoke. And because of his speaking, the impossible happened. Something was created from nothing. God leads his people through the, the sea um, into to an impossible save. I mean, here are God's people in slavery, and we're going to talk about that. They're, they're enslaved. Their children are being abused and used. Their, their children are being ground into dust. Their, their work and their best efforts are being stolen from them. Slavery is a horrible, horrible thing. It was in ancient Egypt. It was in, in America as well. And to not have pity on anybody in slavery is, is so hard-hearted and inhuman. And our God is a God who has pity on people in slavery and who wants to set them free. But when he set them free, he did not take them the way that everybody thought. He led them to a dead end and a, and a red sea. Seems like God missed the boat on that one. And then to make things worse, as the people looked around and said, well, this must not be the way to go. Did you check the map? And they're looking around, and then the whole Egyptian army is coming towards them. Now things have gone from impossible to, uh, to lethal. And then what does God do? He shows that nothing is too hard for him. That, that impossible futures um, are not impossible when we look up. 
And I love the way in Genesis that it, that it talks, Exodus, I'm sorry, I love the way that it talks about um, Moses. Moses is sitting there panicking. I mean, he's looking at the world's greatest army behind him, and he's, he's listening to the panic of all the people, and he's crying out to God, God, help! And God says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Get busy, you know, striking the water and, and walking across. And he does, and God leads people across dry ground with a sea on either side. Our God is a God who makes furnaces that are, that are impossibly hot, utterly harmless to those who believe and trust them. He is a God who leads his faithful people into the lion's den and, and then shuts the mouths of lions and, and asks to be trusted all through the night as, as they can feel the breath of hungry lions breathing on them and yet knowing that God is a God whose hands are, are, are powerful and strong even when unseen. And he walks out in the morning unharmed. Our God is a God who, who leads small people out of the, the safety of the sidelines of battle on the, the hills of the Valley of Elah into battle against a giant that nobody could defeat, nobody could face. But one man had the faith to trust the God who, who, to whom nothing is impossible. And David charges down the hill, basically unarmed. He had a child's toy, essentially, against the most heavily armed um, soldier that had probably existed to that time and took him out. Because nothing is... Okay, I, I'm sorry, I didn't give you enough cue there. Ready? <laughs> nothing is impossible with God. And the truth is that what was true then is true, that, true now. When Jesus came onto the scene as the very face and heart of God on planet earth, he did impossible things from the beginning. Water becomes wine. The blind see, the lame walk. Those who had never seen a sunrise saw God's mercy and grace and the beauty of creation at the touch of Jesus. Those who had never heard the voices of their parents or their loved ones or, or the songs of God in worship not only heard those songs at the touch of Jesus, they, they heard them now with the face of God in front of them. Those who had never walked before, imagine your child destined to be a beggar because in that day there is no social net. If you can't earn a living, it's up to your family. And what happens when the parents die? How do you even get out to beg? I'm just telling you, people died and it was a hard, hard way to live. Your child is crippled and you bring them to Jesus and what does he do? The impossible. And with a word, with a touch, with a smile, the crippled walk and dance. And, and God is a God who changes reality, who redefines reality. Jesus was the, was the, the Savior who walked on water. Now that can't be done. It's not possible. But the one who created the laws of physics um, knows the laws of physics better than we do. So he did not break the laws. He fulfilled them. And he took what was little with the, the, the lunch of a little boy, offered up freely to him. And he took the loaves and the fishes and he did the impossible and he fed 5,000 people. And just to show that that little in the hands of God is more than enough, there were 12 basketfuls left over. That's impossible. Oh wait, nothing's impossible with God. Our, our God is a God who, who let Lazarus be four days dead. And I, I love the King James, you know, it's a, it's a great, I love the way King James puts it as, as they're about to roll away the tomb. 
Here's the advice Jesus has given. But Lord, by now he stinketh. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's true, you know? And what does Jesus say? The one who spoke galaxies into being, the one who, who created the solar system, the one who imagined the universe and brought it into being by word, what does he say? Lazarus, get up and walk. And he did because nothing's impossible with God. And then when he loved impossibly and, and poured out his own life and was crucified on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, when there was no way to break the barrier of our sin, there was no way to, to get in across the holiness of God, he bore our sins. He took our punishment. By his stripes we are healed. Jesus bled and died and was murdered in the cruelest way possible. But on the third day, God did what is absolutely impossible and in the absence of, 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 of his presence in the tomb, it's revealed that love lives again and Jesus conquers death because nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. And so guys, what I want you to know this morning is that, that uh, we're, we're going to, to, to look at the scriptures um, in in 2 Kings 4.17, and, and what we're about to, to look at, we want to be a reminder all through uh, the road ahead and all through the road ahead for the years to come. We're going to look at uh, what really is a paradigm or a model or a pattern or a truth that God wants you to live in your life from this day forward. It's the story of the widow and the jars of oil in 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. And it's an amazing story. You know, one of the things that I love about God is he's always creating, creatively revealing his love in new and fresh ways. God never does the same thing twice. You know, I mean, it just, he just, there's always something new. We, as religious people, you know, God will do something and we're going to take it and write a book and then we're going to teach seminars on it and then we're going to get mad at other churches when they don't do it like that. But God, he just walks and he just sees and he just responds and out of his infinite power and majesty in every unique situation, God reveals his infinite power and glory and capability in new and fresh and unstoppable ways. And I'm telling you, that's what he's gonna do in the church at Seven Run in the days to come. You just watch the wife of the man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now in context, the story is taking place early on in Israel's history. This is before the tabernacle, before the temple. This is before all the kings and the kingdoms. This is in the early days of the prophets who were the spokesmen of, of God, the voice of God. The wife of the man from the company of prophets, one of the, the followers, we, we might have called this guy a, a pastor or a shepherd, she cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. This poor woman is facing the, 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 the double crisis of, of her life. In the first place, a woman in that day had no rights, could not own property, could not inherit property. And so a woman, uh, basically, her only choice was to be, to be cared for by a man or by her family. 
And, and if that could not take place, she had little option other than, than slavery or prostitution. It was a, a horrible, a horrible uh, culture uh, in, in that sense. And here she cries out, having lost her faithful husband. Guys, there's some of you here and, and things have happened in your life. There have been losses that have accumulated and it has been a major crisis of your faith. And for some of you, when these things have happened, you have actually kind of withdrawn from God. You, you've said, God, this is evidence that you don't love me. And this woman, in the death of her husband, as she held his cold, dead hand, she, she still must have trusted God. But then the bad news just kept coming. She discovers their finances. They own nothing. They owe everything. And these creditors are not kind people who say, oh, we'll work it out. They are cruel people who say, oh, we'll take it out of you and your family. And we're going to take your boys and we're going to sell them into slavery. Slavery is a great sin. It was in Egypt and God saw it with compassion and he said, I do not want my people suffering and he freed them. Slavery was a great sin in American history. And we as, as God's people were blind to it for far too long. And in the same way, I want to share with you that you and I are blind to the spiritual slavery of the thousands and tens of thousands and millions of people around us. You see, in America's history, somehow in the culture, for, for many people, it became to be okay with the slavery of other people. You just got used to it. And we look at that and say, how? Well, if you live in the culture and you breathe the air, you know, they, they say, uh, have any of y'all ever been around a paper plant, a wood pulp? What's it smell like? Terrible? Is there any smell that you could compare it to? Stink. I don't know, you know. But you know what? If you live around it long enough, what happens? You get used to it. You just do. And so somehow we would look, you know, at, at slavery and the evil of it and, and say, how could that have happened? But if you lived around it, you, you, you go to sleep in it and you get used to it and you accept it as normative. I'm telling you in the same way, that's where the modern American church is. People all around us are being sold into slavery um, by, by, by hell and, and do not have the freedom of Christ in their lives. And they're one heartbeat away from eternity um, apart from the love of God. And we, we don't see that evil. We, we, see, we see their house or we see that they're driving a decent car or we work with them and they're nice people. And so we tell ourselves they're okay. They are not okay. Without a personal relationship with Jesus, they have no hope. And yet we don't even see their slavery anymore in a way that breaks our heart and makes us willing to risk our lives to set them free, at least to offer them freedom. This woman, though, looked at her children and said, no, I can't. I can't let my kids be sold into slavery. Elisha, I'm turning to you as God's representative Help me set them free. Elisha looks at her and replies, how can I help you? Elisha didn't carry money. He wasn't a wealthy man. He, he wasn't a bank. And, 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 and honestly, the truest prophets, you know, many of them had nothing but their sandals and their robe. Tell me, what do you have in your house? This is a key phrase for how God works in individual lives and in churches. 
we all covet the gifts of other people. We just do. We look at what we've been given and we discount it. We look, look at what other people have been given and we want it. We think it's more, whether it's looks or beauty, you know, um, whether it's power or strength or intelligence, uh, whatever it is, we look at what we have and we say it's nothing. But God gave you what you have on purpose because it is the foundation from which he will reveal his power as churches, we, we look around and say, well, well, we don't have this and we don't have that. And, and, and I heard one pastor that just say, well, my people just won't, they just won't do this and they just won't do that. You know, and I want to say to my brother, stop whining. You know what? Because, because the question is, what do you have? Not what, 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 I, what I don't have. That's the focus. And so some of us today need a foundational shift in our thinking, both individually and as a church. The question is not what don't I have. The question is what do I have? Seriously, I want you to, to, to change how you're thinking. Stop it. It's not what I lack. It's what I've got. What has God given me? Because whatever God has given you is going to be the springboard for, for glory. It's going to be the springboard for God doing amazing things next. So stop wanting what you haven't been given. Stop reaching uh, you know, for, for what isn't uh, you know, yours. And, and look at what you've got. Elisha says, what do you have? And the woman says, nothing. And that's a place of paralysis, and that's a place of stuck. And that's where many of us are, and that's where many churches are. We can't do anything. We know that there's, there's people out there who are, who are in spiritual slavery, but, but there's nothing we can do about it because we don't have enough. We don't have enough workers. We don't have enough people in the nursery. Or people won't give enough or whatever. Just, you know, I just sometimes just want to hear what God would say to it. Actually, I don't want to hear what God says to that. I think what he would say is, nothing's impossible with me. Yeah, that's it. That's what he would say. So your servant has nothing at all except a little oil. I mean, the tiniest little resource that's essentially worthless, she says. And then Elisha does something that's just from that context, right? This has never been done before. It's never repeated after. It's just from that context, the context of her life. And it's the same way God will do something unique and eternal and glorious from your life with what you have. And from this church and what we have, it'll be, it'll be just astonishing and it'll be unique and it'll be creative and it will be uh, God in all his imagining speaking words to life. I've just got a little oil, she says. Just the, the tiniest little bit of oil here, it's, it's worth nothing. And here's what Elisha says. All right, here's what I want you to do. With what you have, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. What? You don't have to understand what I'm telling you. You just have to do it. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Jesus, you know, sends us out on the road uh, on, on a, a quest that other people may not understand. And that's what he did for the, the woman and her sons. I want you to go out and ask your neighbors for jars. And, and can you imagine her and their sons going out and knocking on the door? Hey, um, you, you got any jars? Could I got any Tupperware? Could I, you know, if you got a bucket I could use? Well, what, I, how much? Everything you got? Now, now here's where the story could have gone in a very bad direction. Can you imagine the sons and the daughters kind of having a caucus uh, like right outside the house and goes, well, that was real helpful, you know? Um, 
And the kid's going, he's crazy. He didn't help. God, what a letdown. And, and just walking back in and saying, no. Or gone to, you know, to, to one neighbor next door and said, hey, could I, could I have, borrow a cup? Okay, here's a cup. All right, Elijah, here's a cup. But that's not what they did. They believed, they trusted, they, they knew that the word of God opened up possibilities. And so, so they went out and, and they got all the jars they could from the village. And then Elisha says, go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. And then pour oil into all the jars as each one is filled and put it to the side. Now I just want to tell you, this little jar cannot, by the laws of physics, fill this one. It's just not going to work in, in human life. So, any of y'all good at math? There's a couple of y'all here. Mark, you better raise your hand. How many of y'all love math? You're so special. <laughs> if I were to ask you to, to calculate the volume approximate of this and the volume of this, and then, and then you know, tell me whether or not it's possible for this volume to, to fill or exceed this volume, the answer would be? Well, with man, but with God, nothing is impossible. And so they gather all of these jars. There are jars everywhere. There are jars on the table. There are jars on the floor. There are jars everywhere. As much as they had faith, they gathered jars. And then the widow begins to go out. And, and, and can you imagine the first time she's looking at and saying, okay, I've got this much. And, 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 and she starts to pour and it continues to pour. And then she chooses a bigger one. Wow, she, she pours that and it, and it begins to, to fill up. And from jar to jar, she continues to, to pour out the provision of God Almighty, the God who, is the God who, who fills. Here's what I want to share with you guys. God gives everything to those who give everything to Him. And she gave faith, she trusted God with two just gut blows to her life, the loss of her husband and, and the, 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 the slavery of her sons. She trusts God with that. And, and then when, when God gave her something to do on the road, she did it with faith. And they began filling jar after jar after jar, pour oil into all the jars as each one is filled and put it to the side. The miracle kept happening over and over and over again. And then the scripture says, um, they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the, all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me one more. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped. God will fill everything with his infinite provision as far as your faith allows. There are so many churches that, that, are, that are living in spiritual poverty and, and slavery and saying, oh, we can't do anything because when God told them to go, they gathered two jars and now they're living in that poverty. I believe with all my heart that the truth is there are three crucial questions that God get, has for each one of us. What do you want? What do you have? And what will you give? You see, what do you want? This is the, the arc of your life. This is the whole story of your life. What do you really, really want in life? 
Do, do you want uh, recognition? Uh, do you want to be significant? Um, do you want to be powerful? Do you want to be successful? Or do you want to have uh, an amazing eternal relationship with God? Do you want to be loved? Do you want to be not lonely anymore? Do you want the pain to stop? Because the truth is you and I are all going to do what we want to do. And, and, and if we never take the time to sit down and honestly evaluate what we want, we will never, ever, ever be in an honest enough place to be able to, to, move, um, to move towards God and towards eternity. To, to own the fact that, that you want to stay in your addiction, but you don't. To own the fact that you want more sexuality, but you know that it's broken and it's not going to work. To own the fact that you want recognition, um, but, but then make the decision, you know what, more than I want this next promotion, more than I want, you know, a success, I, I, I want a relationship with you. What do you really want? Because whatever you want is what you're going to go after. And you may cloak your life in religion and God's stuff, but, but the reality is if you want God, you're going to go after him. If you want the world, you're going to go after it. What do you have? What do you have? There's a whole lot of us here who say, I've got nothing. And I just want to say, you are so wrong. God has given you his heart. And in your life, you have the greatness of the image of the creator inside of you. And on purpose, he designed you and he created you and he called you to, to give yourself and to pour yourself out in the world in a way that would reveal his power and his greatness that would reveal in your life that nothing is impossible with God. Say it with me. Nothing is impossible with God. And in all the youth you lack, you know, that focus will take you into uh, to depression, into uh, captivity, into passivity, into nothingness. But when you shift the focus and you look at what you have, what God has given you, and then you, you answer the third question, what will I give? And the answer is, God, I will give everything to you, the God who has given everything for me. How dare you live a small life? How dare you look at what God has given you and say, this is wrong. This is hateful. This is not enough. God is good. And he has loved you with an everlasting love and he created you on purpose. And you are a unique expression of the creativity and the image of God on earth. And how dare you live a small, shrinking back, falling down, depressed, self-hating life. How dare you? How dare you not believe that, that God is enough for you? And how dare you and I believe that, that, that we cannot change the world? That God cannot overcome our obstacles? I'm telling you, when you and I stand before God and, and all the ways that you and I feared out and didn't do what God said and, and were not bold and didn't offer God our all even if we thought it was not much, let me just tell you, you know, I, I don't think I'm all that great a preacher. I don't care. Whatever I've got, I'm giving to God. I don't compare myself to other people. You know, if, if I've got one drop, then by God, that, what, that one drop is going to Jesus. And whatever God does with it, that's his business. But as the, the jar shows, he, he does amazing things with nothing. I'm proof. <laughs> But it will not go well with you that day. 
If you have lived a small shrinking back life, as we as a church lived a, a poor pity us life, well, Lord, it was so hard in, in 21st century modern America. And there were people out there who didn't believe. And, and, and the schools, why they weren't invited. Oh, the truth is you can help the schools. May God forgive us for just disbelieving his word. It's not going to go well for us in eternity when we stand before God and explain to him why, why we were unwilling to offer him everything we had. Guys, the truth is, God gives everything to those who give everything to him. And the church of seven run has to get on the road to impossible to live the future of God. We have to make impossible just our regular way of living. I'm telling you, 17 and a half years ago when God called me to this church, um, God put in my heart and the heart of others that, that the impossible, he, he, you know, I believe with all my heart whispered and said, I want you to lead uh, a thousand disciples towards me. And, and when we were, were small and little and didn't have much of, of, of anything, um, this impossible task was what God called us to. And now we're a, a, a community of 1,200 disciples. We have to live towards the impossible all the time or we're not living in faith. Guys, we're called to live a life believing that the impossible simply isn't, it just isn't for the God who who began it all with a word. And when Jesus said, come and follow me, he said, I will send you out. So you and I need to know that it is impossible to be a follower of Jesus without being sent out on the road to change the world. And to dare to believe that it is impossible, that it is possible to change the culture and, and our society and our world and our politic and everything. To, to not believe it is possible to change this world is to not believe in the scriptures and in the Son of God. To not believe that, that we can reach 5,000 people is to not believe the word of God. How can it be impossible for the churches ever run to reach 5,000 people. How is that even possible? Because nothing's impossible with God. Because what? Nothing's impossible with God. And I want you and I to be a people who live believing the impossible from God in all of our heartache, in all of our circumstances. I'm not minimizing any of that. I, I, I cannot imagine all of the the. You know, the, the fiery furnaces, the giants that you're facing, the, the Red Seas in front of you, the armies behind you. I cannot imagine the situations of lack and need where you've got two loaves and you've got 5,000 mouths to feed. But I'm just telling you that God has given us an answer and his name is Jesus. And that when we give ourselves away completely for Jesus, we live believing nothing's impossible and then we attempt the impossible for God. So I want you to live from this day forward, live believing the impossible from God and then live attempting the impossible for God in your life, in your marriage and as a church community. So guys, I'm gonna ask you to stand up today. Whatever excuse you walked in this door with, I'm going to ask you to lay down at the altar here. 
Whatever it is that is the issue of your life, I'm going to ask you to, to kneel down before God Almighty and I'm going to ask you to, to in that moment, surrender it and believe that the, the impossible is possible with God. To believe. I mean, just believe. You don't have to see it. You don't have to feel it. Just dare to believe. And I'm going to ask you today to surrender what you have However little you think it is, I'm going to ask you today to, to just kneel down before God Almighty and say, God, I give you everything that I am. And I believe that you will use my little in a way that is fresh and new and has never been seen before on planet Earth to reveal your glory and your power. And, and God, that you will use my life to bring freedom. Lastly, church, I just want to say, how can we live with so little compassion on all the people around us who are in spiritual slavery. How can we not care about the chains on their heart? How can we not care about the, the, the bondage on their soul? How can we not care and how can we not go? Today, in the name of Jesus, let's just pour out our lives and let God fill up the world with himself. Amen? Amen. And all because nothing is impossible with God. Thank you for joining us today at the church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland. We look forward to worshiping with you.